This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody. My name is Elon Dubrovsky. I'm here with Brian Com, and this is the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. Hey, Brian. Hey, Elon. How's it going? Very well. I'm very excited for this week. We've got a lot of interesting players to talk about. I want to get to it. First, very quickly, you could send us an email if you have fantasy hockey questions, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter, tweet at us, ask us questions. We'll get back to you right away. We're going to give you examples of both of those things in this week's episode. So let's get going. First, Brian, how was your week last week? So I think I'm actually frustrated. I got time zoned this week. I'm in Tokyo, so I'm 14 hours ahead. So that means games on most weeknights, Eastern time, happen while I am at work. So I'm not checking scores actively while I'm at work, only on break. And when it's my weekend, I'm usually sleeping through the start times of NHL games. So there's no time to really figure out my lineup if any last minute changes happen or if unexpected performances take place that make me want to adjust my goaltending strategy. So that actually probably cost me two categories this week. So I'm in second in my pool right now. I'm one point behind first place. And that's who I'm playing this week. It's second versus first, really big week. And it all started off with Josh Harding giving up three goals in about half a game. He got pulled. And I had Varlamov on the bench because he was going to play Chicago. And he hadn't had a very good performance over the last couple games. So I decided to sit him. Anyway, wasn't able to start Varlamov in time for what turned out to be an amazing start. He got the win. He put up huge numbers. And the same thing happened when Harding got injured in the pregame warmups for Saturday's game. And I was not able to activate Backstrom in time to get him into the lineup. I missed another amazing start. So that cost me two categories for sure. But the good news is, as of today, uh, before Sunday's games, I'm winning 7-4 based on the strength of my offense which will carry me when my goalies fail, I hope. So this is a good test run anyway. That's great. Any notable forwards this week? Yeah, Clark MacArthur, who I know we're going to talk about soon, but he was amazing for me. In fact, because of him, I've, I've, I've got wins in two categories that I wouldn't have if not for him. He has three goals, two assists, and two of his goals were on the power play. One of them was a power play assist. Patrick Kane, I can always rely on. He had a goal, three assists, 12 shots. And Kimo Timonen, a big pickup for me. Did I mention him last week? Yeah, last week you talked about how you picked him up on the waiver wire. Right. And he paid immediate dividends. Right, right, right. And I was counting on him doing that. And so he, sure enough, he had three points in the first game on my roster. The next game, he had five shots on goal, which is still good. No points. Uh, the next game, he had nothing. So I guess we're still waiting and seeing. But as far as this week goes, I'm really happy with what he's done for me. 
that was a good pickup, Kimotimen. And the Flyers are really heating up right now after such a slow start. Yeah, they're good players to buy low on. Although I think maybe the window is closed on guys like Hartnell and Simons and Giroux. And I guess we sort of covered this a little bit last week. One one player who did really well for the guy I was against is Miko Koivu, who had a goal and three assists, plus three, uh, one power play assist, a game-winning goal, and only four shots on goal for him. So not putting a lot of shots on net, but he's got eight points in his last five games, which gives him 21 on the year in 24 games played. I actually, I saw his name bandied about on some fantasy hockey forums. Like, do you think I should get him? What do you think I should do with him? But like, of course, get him. Why wouldn't you? Miko Koivu is probably one of the more underrated fantasy studs out there. So that's my week. Tell me about yours. I think some of our storylines might have crisscrossed, but we'll get to that. First off, how, how did you do? Yeah, so I'm having another first place week for the first place Toronto Chalupa Batman. So going into today... I'm 5-1-1. One, one. There's only a couple of games today. Actually, my opponent doesn't have any games today, so he's not going to catch up in anything. I've got two games. One of my categories that I'm tied in is assists, and I've got Zetterberg and Carlson playing. So if just one of them could get an assist for me, that will make it 6-1. to one, And the Toronto Triple Batmans will be flying high, as always. Who have been the key guys to make that win happen so far this week for you? All right, yeah, looking through, I've had some studs for sure. So Phil Kessel had a huge game earlier in the week with two goals. He's also got 14 shots. Evander Kane, I've been kind of disappointed with him overall this season for how high I picked him. But definitely one category where he always shines in his shots. He's leading my team this week in shots with 17, but only one assist to show for his three games. But Eric Carlson, as always, the name of this podcast is keeping Carlson, and that will never change because he's got yeah four assists this week, all on the power play. And also a player who's really becoming one of my studs and someone who I was even thinking of dropping earlier in the season, Paul Stastny, a goal and assist, nine shots, he's on fire. So that's pretty much the roundup of the people who have helped me to get this win this week. Oh, of course, I have to mention Zetterberg, four assists. Not surprising. And what's what's wrong with your opponent then? Is there anyone on his team that was slumping really hard or, or not coming through for to, to lose so badly to you? You know, his team just isn't that great. His stars, I think, came to play. He has Chris Kunitz and Evgeny Malkin, so I had to cringe every single time Pittsburgh was playing. And, you know, Malkin has a goal and seven assists, and Kunitz has two goals and two assists. So definitely those Pittsburgh guys have been killing me. He has Patrick Kane. He's got four points in three games. Um, but yeah, he's just got a lot of kind of nobodies. You know, he had Yuri Tlusty. He actually dropped him during the week. He's been doing nothing all year. Yeah. You know, Mike Ribeiro, Adam Henrique, Valtteri Filpula. You know, just guys who maybe are decent, but definitely no one scary aside from Malkin, Kane, and Kunitz. He has Chris Letang, who's done nothing. So I was happy about that. Okay, so maybe a bit of a freebie this week. Maybe, but hey, I'll take it. Yeah, for sure. One thing, though, I do want to tell you about this week is I've been a bit active, Brian. I've made some moves. I want to get your thoughts. Oh, yeah. Okay, lay it on me. Okay, so first of all, this one obviously is kind of stinging a little bit, but Ellie Ash came back from the IR and I still hadn't activated him, which means I couldn't do any moves until I did. I finally made the decision to put Ellie Ash back in my lineup after I saw he had a three-assist night. And to make room for him, I dropped Clark MacArthur. Oh, no. Sigh. 
Clark yes. on one of the hottest lines in the NHL, MacArthur. I think that's his nickname these days. Well, just I just looked at my lineup and I couldn't really see anyone else that I wanted to drop. I, I left Elias in my IR for like a week just because I couldn't think of who to drop. But I just kind of assumed that Clark MacArthur you know, doesn't have a career history of keeping up a pace like this. And so I thought that, you know, he's just hot right now, but he wasn't the kind of guy I'd want in my lineup for the rest of the season compared to the rest of them. What do you think? Yeah, that's fair. If you have a team that's strong, I mean, ideally you would have built a team so good that you don't need him. And I guess that's what's happened. And maybe if your league isn't terribly deep on forwards or or the amount of people in the league, then Clark MacArthur isn't quite as worthwhile as he would be in a league like mine where he's on my team and he's indispensable for me there's no way I would ever dream of dropping him for nothing yeah well I guess my choices were between him Eliash himself or maybe Martin Hansel Hansel's been so hot though I just saw that he was injured yesterday so I'm a little bit concerned about that definitely I'd rather have a healthy MacArthur than an injured Hansel but them's the breaks or more preferably sprains or strains. Yes, exactly. Hopefully. Hopefully something that leaves you out of one game maximum. Them's the lower body injuries. <laughs> I guess. So anyways, one of the main reasons I moved Eliash out of the IR, aside from just feeling like it was silly that I had this ineligible guy in the IR for so long, was that I made a trade. And you need to have an eligible roster in order to make a trade. I've been talking to this guy over email, as you had suggested to me, I, I don't know if you recall, Brian, a couple episodes ago, I asked you how to go about making a trade, and you suggested email someone, see what they're interested in, and I really wanted to make an upgrade on defense. Right, and you've been struggling to like get in touch with an owner, or really engage with somebody through the whole season. You've been sending me emails saying, nobody's going to trade with me, I'm not even getting rejections or explanations for why my trades are rejected, so this is really exciting. This was a lot of work. Yeah, it was. And hopefully it was a smart trade. So I ended up shipping Jack Johnson, who's been garbage for me all year, and Tomas Hurdle, who is good, for sure, and we talk about him every week, it seems. And in return, I got Tobias Enstrom, who's been slumping all season, but he's still one of the core power play defensemen on the Winnipeg Jets and someone I hope will get back to how he was doing last year, which was, you know, decent, definitely an upgrade over Jack Johnson. Definitely. And we, we talked about him last week and why he's suddenly gone cold. He, he got a point a couple games ago that ended a long, pointless drought. I think it was probably about eight games. So he's in there. Yeah, we'll see. And the reason why that trade was easy for me to make in terms of giving up Tomas Hurdle is I saw a couple of players I really liked in the waiver wire. I ended up picking up Scott Hartnell to fill the void left by Tomas Hurdle's exit. And, you know, so far I haven't been overwhelmed by Hartnell's performances, but he still is getting good minutes on the top line with Giroux in Philadelphia. So you'd think he'd at least be able to put up the same numbers as Hurdle going forward. Yeah, so essentially you traded Jack Johnson and Tomas Hurdle, who you got for nothing, right, on the free agent wire at the start of the season. And mm -hmm. you got, in exchange, Tobias Enstrom, and you filled the empty roster spot with Scott Hartnell. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I think that's that's a to me that's a clear win. I don't see Hurdle really outpacing Hartnell significantly at all over the rest of the year. And Enstrom, I mean, even if he continues to like play half to his abilities, 
I would say he'd still keep up with Jack Johnson. I really don't think you have anything to lose from this trade. And Enstrom, if you have a keeper slot available, he's a really good guy to have on your team as a keeper. Well, yeah, right now I'm thinking since we have two defenseman keepers every year, obviously one's going to be Carlson. I didn't really have an obvious one. I'm not going to say right now that Enstrom is the obvious keeper because, I mean, if he ends up getting one point every nine games, that's not really going to help very much. But if he could get back to how he should be, then definitely that would be very nice to have that decision made. Well, let's compare who is your keeper coming into this season. It was Carlson and... Dennis Weidman. Yeah, so I would probably take Enstrom over Weidman. Yeah, Weidman definitely hasn't been performing the way he did last year. Okay, well, that's really exciting, and I look forward to hearing over the coming weeks about how that keeps working out for you. How about you? Did you make any moves? Actually, I was pretty quiet this week. The only move I made was dropping the Minnesota Wilds' fourth-string goalie, Johan Gustafsson, for their third-string goalie, Darcy Kumper, (laughs) as they swapped them between their AHL and NHL clubs, just because I... It's valuable for me. I have Backstrom and Harding. I've got the Wild handcuffed, and I want to totally maintain an iron grip on that handcuff. I don't want to lose it. I paid fairly handsomely for it in a trade, and for it to retain its value for me, uh, I need to make sure I've got all the Wild starters, and they're a good team. So why wouldn't I? They're sound defensively. They're competing with their opponents every night. So that's why I did it. And actually, that is a relatively quiet week for me. I'm actually second in my league with moves made, which is a stray from my usual philosophy. I usually go slow, only make a move when I have to, try not to jump the gun. But this year I'm taking a bit of a different approach. I noticed that two of the guys who have been winning the pool over the last few years are making more moves than than I would normally. And they're picking up the streaky guys. And usually I just wait it out and don't bother. So I'm testing out what it's like to join them. I've made 20 moves on my roster so far, which is only second to someone who's made 30, and the next most is 17. But a lot of other owners in my league have made three moves or six or seven or eight. So, Well, it seems to be working for you if you're in second place. Yeah, well, that's it. I'm in second, and I'm looking carefully. And if I do make a move, the next two guys that I drop will probably be... uh, between Tyler Toffoli and Martin Havlat, one or both of them needs to get it going to stay on my roster soon. Right, yeah. Well, Martin Havlat definitely has done nothing since he came back from injury, as we talked about last week. Tyler Toffoli, you were praising, you were saying this is a great guy to pick up. Yeah, well, Havlat, finally, he got an assist, which were his first points since his second game back. So that's about nine or ten games. Uh, so I guess I'm still hoping that something will happen with him. And to Foley, he's still getting enough offensive zone starts. His ice time is starting to decline. And I'm just keeping a really close eye on what role he's playing with the team. Let's move on. We actually got some listener feedback last week, which was very exciting. We have a couple of questions, and I thought we'd read them on the air. Absolutely. And, and Elon, if... A listener listening right now is really jealous of the person who wrote in and says they want to do it themselves. How should they do it? Well, let's start with tweeting. We got a tweet from at Nicholas Kalimin about five days ago. We answered him on Twitter right away, but now we'll share it with the rest of you. At Keeping Carlson, which is our Twitter account, I was offered Cronwall for my Dowdy. Any thoughts? This is a head-to-head league. Goals, assists, plus, minus, PIM, power play goals. Power play assists and shots on goal. So, Brian, it's pretty standard league. Who would you want, Cronwall or Dowdy? Okay, yeah, and I answered back that 
I would pick Doughty, uh, who has the clear edge in shots on goal. Even though Cronwall, since I said that, he, he put up 10 shots on goal in his last two games, including a goal and an assist, both on the power play. So he's been doing pretty well. And I guess in the short term, perhaps I was wrong if they were offering to trade for two games. Um, but even with those 10 shots on goal, Doughty still has almost double the amount that Cronwell does. And obviously more shots on goal means you're more involved with the offense, means you're more likely to score a goal or have an assist on a teammate's goal. Uh, I also wrote that Doughty is also seeing a greater share of his team's power play time. And he had a low PDO, not a very low PDO, just a couple points below what it should be, which effectively says that he's been just a little bit unlucky when he is on the ice. His team's shooting percentage is lower than the average, lower than what you would expect. So assuming that that will regress back to the mean, uh, then his production should get better as his team's shooting percentage improves to what would be the expected rate. I hope that all made sense. Maybe that was a jumble. But simply put, uh, his team's been a little unlucky with him on the ice. So even though he's keeping up completely with Cronwall in that state, imagine if his team is getting the appropriate amount of luck, then he should exceed Cronwell's production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always fun when you're looking at just two great players. Like, there's no doubt that having Cronwell or Doughty on your team is a benefit. But when you compare them, also, I guess you'd have to look at if it's a keeper league. We didn't ask. But, you know, in that case, I think Doughty's the clear winner just because he's a lot younger, I believe. Yeah, in a keeper league, Cronwell is eight years older. So you're right, exactly. Especially if you're thinking in terms of next year, who you'd want on your roster. Drew Doughty is uh, without question the guy you'd want. Right. And we also got an email last week at keepingcarlson at gmail.com. So you two could send us an email. The email was from a listener named Brett, who asked, So I made a trade this week. My Datsyuk, Bacchus, and Nisimov for his Landeskog, Carter, and Ribeiro. This is a keeper's league, and I regret this trade already, and it hasn't even been a week yet. My hope is Landy, Ribeiro, Carter will pick up their pace once Carter is back, of course. I also have younger players, relatively speaking, which is good for a keeper's league, but it still hurts whenever my former players get a point. My question is, after making a big trade or a free agent pickup, how do you cope with your former players doing well? Which is kind of funny, because I thought his question would be, you know, what do you think of this trade? But I think he's already decided he doesn't like it. And now he's just saying, how do you cope with the disappointment? And first of all, I'll say to you, Brett, I know your pain, because I dropped Clark MacArthur this week, and he's getting all these goals, and it is very difficult to cope. But you just kind of have to do it. But Brian, why don't you actually analyze the trade for us? Well, looking at the trade from a keeper point of view, I see why Brett did it. Landis Gog is the best player in the trade from a keeper point of view. No doubt about it in my mind. Really? No doubt about it when he trades away Pavel Datsyuk? Well, Pavel Datsyuk's good and definitely the best player in the trade today, but he's also 35 years old. Okay, fair enough. So Definitely short-term keeper. I still feel like Datsyuk's going to put up the biggest numbers over the next, let's say, two seasons. Right, and... At that point, I mean, the question is, do you want Datsuk for another two years and risk not getting as much back for him as he's clearly declining? Or do you sell on him while you can and get Landis Gog, who might not be available? You might not be able to do that trade next year or the year after. So maybe if Brett's really enamored with Landis Gog, that's a good reason. And I guess how I see this trade is Anisimov 
he's out of the picture as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he had a decent year last year, scoring about half a point per game for Columbus in his first year there. But as you know, half a point per game with me is sort of just like, forget it. Like, I can find 15 other guys to do that for my team. So Right. Plus, he, I don't think he's even doing that this season. No, nine points in 23 games. He's only got two in his last 10. So All right. So forget Anisimov. That was not even part of the trade. Right. So I'm looking at Datsuk and Bacchus for Ribeiro, Landeskog, and Carter. When Carter gets healthy and it's one year or two years from today, Brett, you definitely win the trade. Uh, but in, until then, I would say that Datsuk and probably Bacchus are, are the two best players in the deal. I think I think you might have traded away two of the better players, in, in which case I can really empathize with the second part of your question. And of course, that's just a quick and dirty analysis. There might be more to it. But really, I want to focus on the second part of your question, which to me was, I mean, the reason you emailed. And I really... I feel it. I feel it when you use words like saying it hurts when my former players get a point and how do you cope? Like just, just the language. I really, I understand Brett. Do you understand Elon? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, every single time you make a mistake, you have to live with that for the rest of your life. Even though this doesn't seem necessarily like a mistake, but yeah, if you see points that could have been yours, oh, right. Heart wrenching. And what I read into while looking at Brett's email was, it sounds like a relationship gone wrong. Like it, you know, it still hurts when I see them with other people or, you know, how do you cope when you see them succeeding in life and, you know, you're still, you know, working shift work at, you know, a department store anyway, but. Okay. So Brian, you traded away Devin Dubnik and he's been super hot since you traded him away. How have you coped? I've coped by focusing on what I have. And that's true. It's totally true. I have had to cope. I have felt the hurt because both Dubnik and Emery have almost put in like consistently weak winning performances since I traded them. I don't think either of them has had a bad game. Or if they have, they weren't actually starting for the owner I traded them to. I also sent over Brian Little, who I thought would cool down. He hasn't. He seems to be like Winnipeg's new scoring leader. So... It's hard, but then I look at what I got in return, and I got Harding and Backstrom, which is safe and secure, and I also think back to the bad times, where I had Dubnik blowing up my stats every week, and Emery never playing, and Brian Little, okay, whatever, I miss him a little bit, but I'm coping by remembering what I had before, which was awful, and what I'm going to have in the future which is better. So in your case, it's going to be really hard this year. It's going to be really hard with Datsuk and Bacchus, watching them continue to lead both their teams probably deep into the playoffs. And Carter, you're waiting to come back. Ribeiro is in Phoenix, and anybody playing for Phoenix is sort of hard to cheer for offensively. So maybe focus on Landis Cog. Keep a close eye on him. Think next year and the year after all the good times you're going to have together. And it might be a tough <laughs> period. The, the skies might be cloudy, but Landis Cog is that rainbow in your future. Yeah, and plus, hey, you listen to the Keeping Carlson podcast, so I'm sure you're going to end up picking some great free agents as the season goes. You'll still have a good year. Right, yeah, you'll make up for it too, and and you'll find new people to enjoy and spend time with and follow. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the email, Brett. We really appreciated it, and we look forward to getting more emails so we could analyze trades and give you advice on how to cope with various aspects of being a fantasy hockey team owner. And Brett, if it, if it does get any worse, you can email us back and we'll talk you through it.
Yeah. <laughs> we'll have a th- we'll have a therapy session. So I want to move on now to some players of note. So there's a few players who I wanted to ask you about, Brian. I know you have some players you wanted to talk about. Why don't you start? Who are people that you should be keeping an eye on in your league? Okay, well, here's someone. Maybe I'm about a week late to this party, uh, but it just sort of started to appear and a trend started to come just as we had finished recording our last podcast. And that's Nick Bjugstad. Saying that right? I'm pretty sure it's not Bjugstad. Uh, in Florida. He only played 11 games last year, which means he's Calder eligible this year. He only had one goal. I mean, but he was first rounder in 2010, 19th overall picked by the Florida Panthers. And in his first nine games played, it was more of the same uh, from last year. He had one goal and one assist and was getting no power play time. So two points in nine games with no real pot of gold in sight. But since then, in his last nine games, He's had a goal, six assists, is seeing regular power play time on the Panthers, what looks to be their second unit, although on that team it's hard to tell sometimes which is first and which is second. And he's also got positive possession numbers and favorable zone starts. So I guess those are big words, and I'll just break it down quickly. Essentially, he's creating offense. When he is on the ice, Florida is doing well. Florida is driving play, carrying the puck into the other team's zone, uh, making shot attempts which obviously bodes well for a player's offensive stats. He's also being protected a bit in terms of minutes. He's seeing more starts in the offensive zone than he is in the defensive zone, which says that he's being used in an offensive role by his head coach. And again, that's more opportunity for scoring. So you say that if he's available in someone's league, they should pick him up? Uh, He's available in my league right now. Yeah, if he's available in a deep league, I would still pick up Clark MacArthur long before Jugstad. For example, he's someone that I'm looking for as a possible replacement for somebody on the same level as Toffoli or Havlat. And in terms of Toffoli, it would sort of be I'd be dropping one streaking player at the end of his streak and hopefully picking up another who's just starting to, to put up points over at least a short little while. One or two weeks is a good enough shelf life for me. Okay, your turn. Who do you want to talk about? Okay, there's a couple of players on a team in my league, the Toronto Slippery Hookers, and I know you hate that name. It's a terrible name, but can we, but can we point out that the person's last name is Hooker, so it's not as bad as it sounds. Okay, yes. So he has a couple of players that I wanted to talk about for him because he's asked me about them. First of all... His main goalie that he picked third overall this year in our draft, and again, it's a keeper league, so this would be equivalent of a eighth round in a regular draft, is Jimmy Howard. So Jimmy Howard, the starting goalie for the Detroit Red Wings, he's had a very good career. I remember I was actually deciding this year when I had first overall, I was deciding between Niemi and Howard. I ended up going with Niemi, and I'm very happy with that choice. This year, Jimmy Howard just really has not been having a good year. The Red Wings overall are not doing as well as people thought they would with their acquisition of Daniel Alfredson. Maybe people thought that he would push them to the next level, but it's been the opposite. So do you think Jimmy Howard is a really good goalie to have and it's just a slump? Or do you think potentially he might be falling from the sort of level one, level two status that he's always held? Well, I think it has been a bit of a surprise. I know when Howard was available, maybe it was last year in the draft, he was at the top of my list to draft as a keeper, and I didn't get him. But what I see looking at his last five years in the league is that out of 
the four previous season, only one has looked like this one so far. And that was back in 2010, where he, he finished with a 908 save percentage. But if you look around that, he's steadily, 2009, he was 924 save percentage, 2011, 921, 2012, 923. So I don't think there's much to be concerned about, especially as a keeper. I think he'll be fine. We talked about earlier in the year, uh, Jonas Gustafsson starting to challenge him, maybe taking on a greater workload, which would eat into his minutes. But at this point, I wouldn't really be so down on Jimmy Howard. His career numbers indicate that he will sort of bounce back. I expect that he'll generally be a 950, 920 save percentage goalie for the majority of his career. And his goals against numbers are also generally good too. And as a goalie, you also have to look at how the team's doing. And I think we know that Detroit's play has been somewhat inconsistent so far this year. They're about even in terms of Corsi numbers, which is possession and driving play. So maybe as the year goes on and the wings find their feet, as they usually tend to do, his numbers will improve along with the teams. Yeah, it's always hard when you have your main goalie not performing because that could really just hurt a lot of your categories, and that's supposed to be the one you can depend on. The other player I wanted to ask you about is Zdeno Chara. So with Howard, I guess it's pretty obvious. You have to keep him and ride him out. Hopefully he'll get better. There's not really much more you can say. Chara, I think, is interesting. So in my league, there is no category for blocks or hits or penalty minutes. Like For defense, it's pretty much just shots and then goals and assists. And Chara is not the stud that you maybe would think he is, or, you know, just from name recognition, people think he's, you know, it's Dana Chara. Obviously, you want to have him on your team. So Chara, so far this season, has played 23 games. To show for it, he has four goals, four assists, and 47 shots, so about two shots a game. Do you think that he improves these numbers, or is this what we can expect offensively from Zdeno Chara moving forward? I mean, I think we're getting to that point. He's 36 years old he'll be 37 by the time this season's over and if you look at his numbers last year I mean he took a pretty steep drop he had 52 points in 2011 before which was actually a career high and the two years before that he had 44 50 51 so generally you could count on him for 40 to 50 points last year he was on pace for uh, under 40 points, which would have been his first sub-40 point season since 2002 when he was still with the Senators. He put up 39 points. This year, he's got four goals all on the power play and four assists in 23 games. He's a minus two. He's got eight points, 47 shots on goal. And nothing's really out of place. In fact, his shooting percentage right now is higher than his career number by a fair bit. He's shooting eight and a half percent right now and He's accustomed to shooting uh, just under 6% over the last few years with Boston. So it might be time. I mean, he's played a lot of minutes. Not only is he 37, but he's 37. He's always been one of the heavier minute loggers of any player in the league. You know, right now you think Ryan Suter and Shea Weber are the guys, but Zdeno Chara has been doing it for years, taking the heavy minutes and against the tough competition and he's a big guy too. His body's probably going to wear down. So if you have Chara and you're wondering what to do with him, I mean, he's still probably going to be good for 30 points, say this year. But in terms of his 40 or 50 point seasons, those days might be over. And if you're relying on him for a keeper, you might want to try and flip him for somebody younger to another team that maybe believes that he's still got 50 point potential. Uh, maybe somebody who doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> 
Right. Okay, well, Mr. Slippery Hooker, I hope that you found those analyses valuable. I'd like to move on now to talking about another category of players that, Brian, I saw you wanted to talk about this week. So why don't you tell us about your snoozers? Okay, what is a snoozer should be your first question. What is a snoozer? Okay, thanks for asking. Well, if we think about it, a sleeper is somebody before the season who has big upside that doesn't really have the the name in marquee lights yet that you might be able to pick up. And he's a sleeper to perform well for your guy. Uh, But then I'm creating a new term, exclusive, well, maybe, to Keeping Carlson podcast called snoozers. And, And these are the guys that you put on your roster when they're hot, and then you forget to drop. So if they're still on your roster, you're snoozing. So who would you say qualifies as a snoozer right now? Okay, so our inaugural snoozer is Sean Monahan of the Calgary Flames. I think we all know his name because he's probably picked up in most leagues. He started off with 11 points in his first 13 games, right? And he came with high pedigree. He was a high draft pick first round of the Calgary Flames in his rookie year. And after seeing his output early on, the Flames did a pretty dumb thing. And there were some good articles written about it, uh, especially one by Ryan Lambert, if you Look it up. It might have been on Puck Daddy. Anyway, it was about how the Flames kept him with a big club. They burned a year of his contract based on shaky numbers. Not shaky in the sense that they're not good, but shaky in the sense that they weren't sustainable. And it came to fruition. In his last 10 games, he's only got three points. And only in three of those 10 games did he put more than one shot on goal. So not only is he not scoring, he's also not even seeing the opportunities to score. And all that is happening when he's getting almost totally exempted from defensive responsibilities. He's got a lot of offensive zone starts, very few defensive zone starts. And if you look at more of the underlying numbers, his PDO is right around 100. It's not bad luck. I think the only answer might be it's him. He's a rookie. He's still figuring it out. And also it's Calgary. The whole team is on fire for the first, you know, 10, 12 games. Uh, but now they lost seven of eight games to start the month of November. It looks like they're regressing and their big producers will be regressing along with them. Okay, so you're saying if you have Sean Monahan on your roster, you might need to start thinking about unloading. Time to reevaluate. Maybe there's a better option. And another player who fits that profile as a snoozer is Corey Conacher. So let's compare his last season with this season. After 23 games played last year, he had 7 goals, 13 assists, and 37 shots on goal. That's pretty good, right? 20 points, 23 games played as a rookie. Right, that was on Tampa Bay, right? Right, and so we're already sort of getting to the reason why that might have happened. He was playing on the top line, and he had a lot of things going for him in an offensive system. After 23 games played this year, the same number of games doesn't have 20 points. He has five, two goals, three assists, 29 shots on goal. And one of the big things to notice here is who he's playing with. He's playing sort of a checking line role with Zach Smith and Chris Neal. And mind you, he's doing it fairly well. But if you drafted him expecting offense, it's time to really think about if he's your best option to have in your lineup right now. He's also seen some serious regression in terms of shooting percentage. After the same amount of games last year, he was shooting 19%. This year, that's been cut by more than half. He's only shooting 7%. So he hasn't been around long enough for us to know 
what his career rate might be and what to expect, but 7% could be about where he ends up. He's seeing occasional power play time, but again, he's not being put in an offensive role. That's hurting his production. If he's on your roster, think about it. Think about how much longer you're going to ride this out and consider everything I've said. And if you keep him in your lineup, you're either in a really deep league. Or you're just snoozing. Or you're snoozing. You, you're in bed with Conacher. Okay, well, I look forward to seeing who your snoozers will be next week. Hopefully not anyone on my roster. I think that's been a pretty good show, Brian. I think we should close it out. I like to always end it with you giving us some rapid-fire notes on some players of note. So who do you have for us, Brian, to close out the show? Okay, let's do this quickly. Gustav Nyquist. Oh, yes. I knew he was coming. Finally, finally showed up in Detroit after what probably he should have been there at the start of the year. For whatever reason, they re-signed Dan Cleary uh, for a contract that didn't quite make sense at the time. Anyway, there were too many bodies. So he finally got his chance. He's up. He scored two goals in his first game. It didn't take him long at all to do it. And that was against Carolina. And then in his second game against Ottawa on Saturday, he saw over 16 minutes, which was fourth among Detroit forwards. And if you think about the forwards they have, that's a pretty good thing to have on your resume. Uh, He's playing on the top unit on the power play and getting good looks on it, too. If he's available in your league and you have somebody on your team who is not doing anything for you, I encourage you to make the switch. I assume that Gustav Nyquist is here to stay and in a prime scoring role. Yeah, you know, I wish I could grab him. He's only right wing eligible. and My team is already full on the right wing position with some guys who really can't be dropped. You know, Kessel St. Louis, Verbata, and Acaposo. So I sadly will have to watch Nyquist get grabbed by another team and then shine. Next up, Christopher Stieg, who also changed teams, except this wasn't from AHL to NHL. He changed from the Florida Panthers to the Chicago Blackhawks, which for anybody would probably be a positive. Well, unless you go from a top line on Florida to a bottom line on Chicago. True, but that's not what's happened. He's playing with Patrick Kane, and I guess that that might have been the fear, but he's got a good line mate. His centerman is usually Brandon Peary, who I almost was going to talk about, but I'm not going to get into. Um, Anyway, for Sieg, four points in five games played since coming to Chicago, 12 shots on goal, plus four. Man, another free agent in my league, another right winger. Ah, these right wingers. I wish that I had spots for them. And finally, the last one, Michael Stone, a defenseman. Yeah, who is this guy? He gets a lot of goals for a defenseman. Yeah, he's the early Cy Young candidate, right? Whoever scores the most goals without getting any assists. And actually, I think that's usually Jeff Carter. But this year, it's Michael Stone. And a defenseman, too, not getting assists should already be sounding alarm bells. He has five goals in his last seven games played. 17 shots on goal in that span. But don't be fooled. His peripherals are fairly weak. There's really not a ton of value with him. And if you look at his shooting percentage, you know what's coming. It's 22.6%, and that is double his career rate, and thus it is... Gonna regress. Unsustainable. Oh, yes. (laughs) Damn it. Which is the same thing. It's going to regress. It's unsustainable. (laughs) If you're thinking of adding him to your team, please be careful. You might have another Alex Chason on your hands, uh, and I don't expect it'll last. There are other more offensive options for the Coyotes to go with, and I think he's just been a beneficiary of luck so far. Thank you, Brian, and thank you to our listeners for listening to our Humble podcast. Humble in 
podcast stature, not humble in our advice, which I'm positive will help you win your fantasy pool. I'm using Brian's advice. I'm in first place. He's in second place. I'd love to hear how you guys are doing. So yeah, if you're a listener, maybe just send us in, tell us how you're doing in your pool, and then, we can, and then give us updates. We can see if we're helping you out at all, if you're making any of the moves that we're suggesting. So you could email us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. You could tweet at us, at keepingcarlson. Let's cue that outro music, which I love, by the way. That was provided to us by the great Pat Roach. And Brian, I will talk to you next week. Talk to you next week, Elon. Thanks, everybody, for listening.